Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, you're very welcome to this week's podcast, Memories of Farming Life in Rural Ireland. I'm Maurice O'Keefe, and over the years I've travelled the length and breadth of the country meeting the farming community who spoke to me about the changes that they witnessed in the way farming practices had been carried out and how different life was on the farm in those days. It was a time before farm machinery arrived on the farm. All spade worked out. Actually, all reclaiming, you know, with spades. It was a time when there were fewer animals on the farm, and there wasn't that intensive farming. All your cows had a name. Your to name, whatever few cows you had, they all had a name. And women worked as hard as the men on the farm. The cowsheds would have to be cleaned out. The hen houses would have to be cleaned out. And on the land. But I dug the most of them. Who stuck them? I stuck them first. And driving the sheep to new pastures on the mountainside. Some are all gone off up the mountain and no flies, no nothing just to go near them. It was a time when there was no waste and everything on the farm was recycled. And they'd make mattresses out of the, out of, out, out of the mailbags and put the straw into it and the ticket feathers would be down on it. Plucking the geese. Be down on his face and he'd speak his hand like that and he rubbed the head down, the down oh, to be going into his eyes and everything. <laughs> Memories of drawing the cocks of hay in the long summer months. You had to fork the tram up onto the car and shape it and tie it with ropes to bring it home, to put it in for the winter. And having enough of cow manure to spread on the land before the artificial manure arrived. I threw the manure from Dublin, the cow manure from Dublin. And actually it's the only thing I regret ever doing. And every parish in the country had its own travelling butcher. He'd have the water boiling and to scald him and clean him. Yeah. And I killed the pig and next night then you'd cut him up. And that time we had no light only a candle. And there was a time of the hiring fair that provided the farmer with labouring hands to work the land and to plough the fields. Funny and horses that time. Mm. And walking the tough sod and the hard sod. Tearing and tearing. 
And there was a time of separating the shaft from the grain, and this happened on the kitchen floor. And when the winter time had come, then they'd get the women out of the house, maybe for a day or a night. And all repairs were carried out on the farm, and this included the women making the tread to repair the harness. And they'd wax it and twist it, and if they wanted to patch the colour of the horse, they'd sort for that. And there was a time when the horse meant everything to the farmer, so this horse had to be looked after and minded. So now to bring him in and feed him and at dinner time and let him out again or bring him out again and tackle him again and go on and plough again or harrow or whatever it might be. And finally, the arrival of the tractor on the farm. I love the tractor work. So let's get started. I'm here in Tour Tour uh, outside uh, Goline. Six miles outside Goalin, yeah. And very near Mizzenhead. Yeah, about about four miles. Four or five to more. Just two to four miles at least, yeah. And I'm I'm talking to Billy Rycroft. Yeah. Billy, the Rycrofts, how how long have they been living in this area? This is the third generation of the Rycrofts. And the house you're living in, did, did your grandfather build this house? It was, um, he did, it was hatched up till the year 1919. And it was remodeled a few times since by myself. Oh, where did the Rycrofts originally come they from? They were, uh, we were supposed to be originally from, uh, the Huguenots from France. How did they, your grandfather find it? What brought him to this, this well, side? Well, that's a good, I don't know. I don't, who was here before? Who was here before? And I don't rightly know. Did he marry in here? He did. Well, you know, he, he got away from we all were beyond Goalin. She came in here, right? And what was her name? She was Connell. How big is this farm, or how? It's a, a 149 acres, rough and smooth. And to seek a living out of that must have been... It was very... hard work. Yeah. But we used to do a bit of fishing as well. And that sort of thing, Lobster fishing and mackerel fishing was a big thing here in the month of October. And so, take me to your father's time then. When you were growing up, which which your father? You uh, you helped him in the fishing and the farming. Oh yeah, the yeah. whole lot. Yeah, and doing a bit of uh, building outside of the farm as well, and building all the old houses and thing here as well, and doing all that type of work. Like we worked at everything. Actually, we had to. In in the early days, when you know that. Getting around was more difficult. It was. Bicycles and walking and this kind, yeah. We had in the castle till 1952, Morris Minor. And how did you get from one place to the other? And where would you Hars do and your trap. Sh- How would you do your shopping then? A horse and trap. Well, we had local shops then. They were down there at the bottom road where you turn off. There was one right there, another one further up. And we used to take the butter and the eggs and things like that and get all messages there. Yeah. Now, what did the messages consist of? What did they consist of? Mostly flour and sugar and tea. Hmm. That we had the rest was grown here. We used to grow wheat and have our own flour and grow the potatoes, of course, and all this. Yeah. And, and we had the eggs and all. And chili pig and there were no freezers then. We used to kill about three of them and put them in the barrel, pick them, salt them. And, of course, we used to have the mackerel. Uh, the, everyone around would have a, a barrel of mackerel salt at that time, and they'd have a barrel of uh, pollock 
Connor, we call him the rock brave. He's the right name for him, I think, the brown fellas. And we saw them salted. You, you were saying the farming, though, it, uh, you concentrated on, 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 on crop growing. And, oh, yeah. And, uh, but, Oats but, and wheat and barley and, and wheat enough for the house. What about the animals then? Yeah, we'd be making about 14 cows a day and children making the butter. We had the old children and the separator, the separator milk. Uh, what, what breed of cows? They were mostly short hands in the early days. Yeah, and were they in and the feeding of the cattle during the winter? Did we you had, leave them out, or did no, you? No, they were in in the winter, and eating early in the winter too. And um, we'd feed them the hay, and mangles, and turnips, and the Latin that was fodder breed. So that's how we were managing. And we had to pike out the meal from out in the yard, and then when we wanted to ride that away in the motor back to over, we'd pike it as a horse's car. And dried out in the fields and spread out the pike again. Yeah. Did you use seaweed coming in from the beach? We used seaweed a good bit too, yeah. Well, we wouldn't have drift seaweed here for the north place I would come ashore. We often cut seaweed out near the pier and brought it up. It was very good for the the potatoes and that kind, high in potash and high day. And we still picked the carrigan moss and used it quite a bit. They were down there. The Grahams farmed the land for many generations in Arda in County Donegal, and that's where I met Matthew Graham. But talk to me about the the, the, the way of life uh, the farmers had out here. They they uh, they lived for the land. They lived for farming. We would have had about probably about twenty twenty five acres of oats every year. That had to be binded, had to be stucked, had to be built onto a stack, rushes cut, stacks thatched, ropes made. And then it was thrashed during the winter time. So if you're doing that now, you never would get saved because we haven't the weather. The weather has changed so much too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. that would predict uh, the, 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 the way that you would farm. That's right, yes. yes. And so, and, and, and it was all very manual, wasn't it? You were out there and you were, uh, you, it was hands-on work. It was uh, hands-on work, yes. We were, we were digging, we would grew about four acres of potatoes and they would have been uh, dug, gathered by hand, put in a pit. The pits would have to be happy to keep the frost out during the winter. You went back then and took the clay off them and walled them in the field or sorted them, as some people would call it, in the field. And you brought them into the house and you, you graded them there and picked them and they went into bags and were sealed by the department and went off. Uh, we were growing about an acre of turnips for to feed the cows in the winter time. They also had to be thinned by hand. You crept up the fill in your knees and thinned them. Had to be all hand cut and hmm. put onto a trailer and drew into the house. And then you had to slice them and feed them to the cows. It was all hard work, yeah. but enjoyable work. Yeah, but yeah. The, uh, the other crops that you would have grown, would you have grown mangles for cattle? No. No, not in Donegal. Uh, turnips would have been the only thing we've been growing. And uh, later on, now, uh, we grew kale here, Maristam kale, uh, but that wasn't all that successful. We stopped it again. That's mm-hmm. for feeding the, the cattle in the winter time. And uh, Yeah, that's yeah. interesting, yeah. because you'd usually find that out by the sea, uh, growing uh, the Maristam. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. So you you would have actually grown that? Yes, we would grow in Maristam and, and you'd uh, cut a track up and put a fencer up, you'd just sort of fed it to the cows with a fencer, you know, you put the cows out to it. Yeah. But uh, the winters, the ground was very wet and messed up everything and, you know, we stopped yeah. that again. 
But then yeah, we went on, then we eventually went on into silage then, and you put up a silage pit, and the cows were getting silage then, and they were running all the time. Right, and, and that's that's the kind of way that it's gone now, but uh, back then, in, in your father's time, say, right. uh, the, um, uh, how many acres of land were being farmed here? He was farming 50 at that time. Now, I have already I have bought another 50 since that. Now, we're, we're farming 102 of our own, and then we have uh, about 50 acres leased. All right, so would that be neighbouring farm farmland that the you brought up? It was, yes, yeah. but it was sort of mixed up on our farm because our house was sitting in their land and their house was sitting in our land. You know, it was the way it was sitting, it, it was mixed up, so it really had to buy it because... Okay, because it was because part of it was already. Because of the way it was. And when times were bad in the 1950s, free milk was given out by the farmer. My father now, uh, specially, he was specialising in milk at that stage, but when I'm saying specialising in milk, he was keeping 12 cows and had to be milked by hand. So, you know. But uh, he was doing what they called the free milk. It was uh, Donegal County Council paid him, and uh, the local people would have come and got their milk. You know, people with, ch- with young children would come and got their milk here. They got a pint a day or a quarter a day. And uh, the county council would have, would have paid him for that. In the county of Kerry, uh, just outside Tralee in Nakawadra, the Rices farmed the land, and George Rice recalls a time when the cows all had names. All your cows had a name. You were able to name whatever few cows you had, they all had a name. And if you wanted to do anything to one of those cows, you wrote down the name in the book. You know, there's no numbers that time. There was no tags. <laughs> yes. There was no tags. And you would go into the Black Beauty or the Good Red or to, to do different names. And would a cow answer to your call now? Yeah. Well, you would have no time for that petting, you know. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you would have no time for that petting. <laughs> but, and also the, the, the fields, like you'd have names on the fields, so you could say. And you had names on the fields. Yeah. You had different fields. You had the hill field. You had hot field. You had the hollow field. You had different names. Well field. And from Valley Desmond in North Cork, hill farmers Dan Daly and Tobias Roach recall the difficulties of farming at that time and how fit and tough you had to be. The young crow today, sure, they couldn't ever come back to what we would do. No. I couldn't do it all. Falling after the machinery, all my machines doing on wheel racks for collecting here, that wouldn't be able to do a bit at all. Mm-hmm. You like, see, we were born into it, like we were br- brought up to it. It you was know? all spade work. Them actually all reclaiming, you know, with spades. And uh, the fence there had to see that built up the ditch to see to well closing. So much to tell it. But you went to the fairs and you oh, travelled. You travelled yeah, long distances, I'm sure. Farthest walking I done was Abbey Field. Well, it'd be 17 miles anywhere from here. It shouldn't be more. We wish go to relations the evening before. Do you think are you Catholic against it? Break oh, the journey. Yeah. Break the journey that yeah, way. Back yeah, back the journey. But did the women work as hard as the men? They did. Mary and Lucy O'Neill from Cremon in South Kerry. How? They were out in the field. Then I was found an awful lot of work. 
She was always out in the garden setting potatoes. Cows, I have the cows, the how the, the cow sheds would have to be cleaned out. The hen houses would have to be cleaned out, and and the eggs would have to be gathered. And um, you, we had to go and work in the fields with them. You had to set the spuds, as they said. You had to plant the spuds. You had to plant. You we had to go and weed the carrots, and you'd have to weed all the spuds and all and did that. Did you do that too, Mary? Did you go out and weed? I did, of course. With um, she'd be helping us. Which with them, um, I'd be out with them. Yeah, I would. But um, you see, there was not. There was a lot of work to be done. They had to set cabbage as well because for the dinners. And you see, the, there was another one man in the house. That was her husband. Lucy's dad and. Nan always tried to help in the field as well, didn't she? Yeah, oh, she was. You, she couldn't keep yeah. her in. She yeah. loved working outside. Oh, she was always working outside. Yeah. Yeah, and sitting cabbage and potatoes and onions and everything. She had bonnets and calves, as well as the cows, you see. Not a big lot of anything, but a bit of, of a lot of things. Was, trying to make a pound. As well as that, I used to have the mussels here in the winter time, you know? Dredging. Dredging mussels. And they'd export them to, to markets in London and where else used they send to France? France, France. Yeah. No, the mussels, when they were harvested uh, and they were coming in, uh, I'm sure you and, and the women locally uh, were involved in all of this, weren't they? I, was, I helped, remember helping. I remember helping down at what they call the slip now. I remember my... Uh, there would be um, three or four men, like, no, two men only to a boat with a dredging, mm-hmm. wasn't it? And they used to have to go miles out to sea where the, to get the mussel beds. Miles out to sea to get... The, and they had a massive dredge. It was like a, a triangle thing that used to dredge. It would, they'd drag it along the bed. Draw, they had to be dropped down, I don't know how many feet, um to get to the muscle bed and it would be dragged and it had to be hauled in very, very heavy and it would be all mud and slop as they used to call it into the boats and they'd be laden down coming home with dirty muscles and there'd be only two men to the boat and then the two women, the wives used to be on their hands and knees and it would be in the middle of winter picking and cleaning those muscles and washing them in the water bringing them the water in from the tide, washing the sacks and getting them ready to go for sale. Mary Clifford from Ballyhigh in North Kerry was out in the fields at a very young age. But I dug the most of them. Who stuck them? I stuck them first. And there was a man living next door, Stephen Flat, and he was come out talking to us. Well, for your size and weight, he says, there's no better than you. You have all them ridges... Such you stuck them, and you dug them, and I did. There was a half an acre and a half quart of ground, Irish measure. Yes. And I, you know, yeah. and my brother used to dig a little bit, and there was a man next door. He gave two bits a day of digging, but if it was all put together, I dug a half acre. You know, we said they dug the the, the, the little bit. It wasn't it half a watch to dig them. It was indeed. Go out in the morning at half past nine. And coming home at half past four. Half past four. <laughs> the evening. <laughs> Stay out all day digging spots. And come the next day and pick him with my sister. And that after hard work. That was a long, hard day. And that yeah. was going on for about three weeks. Mm-hmm. And I did that and I, I was only about eight and a half stone weight. Eight and a half stone. 
Mary Parkinson from Terrygloss, North Tipperary, worked in the dairy before going to school in the morning. Kept cows and to be the milk and to be done by hand. And I have to milk the cows now, some of them three and four in the mornings. Well, my brothers had, had help out as well, and the rest of them we had 11 cows. And before I go to school, I do it. Was that yes. your job, to get up and milk cows? Uh, yes, and milk and help out. And then we'd have two days a week then to churn, make the butter. And the people who come from around about for the butter, they said it was lovely, lovely butter. Did you like making butter? Was that something... Oh, I, well, I didn't mind it now. It was nice. It was grand. Yeah. I liked working on the farm and worked hard on it. We fed pigs and we fed bonnets and we did everything now, everything. But the butter making now, it, it, to, to produce a nice... Pound of butter. A, a pound of yes. butter. You'd be churning for, I suppose, nearly half an hour, I suppose, you know, by hand, you know. And it was hard, you know, hard. And then it would start together, you know, the cream would be start together and the butter would be, it'd be, you'd see, like, we had an end over end churn, like, you know, going, you know, and a glass in the end of it. And when you'd look into the glass, you'd know that the butter was, was collected, was made. On the foothills of the Schliebloom Mountains in County Leash, the Conrise had a small farm, and Breda loved herding the sheep to new pastures up the mountain. Well, we had a small little plot of land, but with the mountain at that time, you had so many acres. I think there was nearly over a thousand acres of free grazing. It was commonage between commonage, all, yeah, yeah, between all the families was up there, like, like, and you could put the sheep, which was marvellous. We had great healthy sheep, great healthy sheep. Now, we wouldn't down here with a small bit of ground. The sheep wouldn't be near us. They're healthy enough, but with sore feet, which we never got up on the mountain. Years ago, you'd never have to pair a sheep's foot or anything. You had you had them in the small bit of ground in the winter round the house, but in the summer they were gone off up the mountain and no flies, no nothing used to go near them. Mm-hmm. It was excellent. It's excellent. I was one of the ones used to go off the herd and I used to really love to, to go. You were gone up the mountain for a couple of hours walking. Great healthy life. <laughs> Did you have a good dog? Sheep dog to oh, we had, down. we had very good. That was one thing my father had. He had, he had two black and white dogs, dogs on my young days, and they were marvelous. And they'd go for the cows in the morning up the mountain. Nothing was wasted on the farm, and Nellie Kelly from Thomastown in Kilkenny remembers recycling everything that came her way. There wasn't a thing wasted. Honest to God, even the, the use of cabbage, they chopped it up and they gave it to the turkeys or they gave it to the pigs or they gave it to something. There was nothing wasted. Yeah. Everything. But um, the time, uh, when we were young, it was half sex of Friday, we'd find there were so many in the house, a four-stone bag every, there'd be no paper bag. The shopkeepers had weighed in a bag, in a, in a bag for you, like if you wanted yeah. a stone of flour, which was four stones and half sex of flour. And uh, every, they'd have the white linen kind of, linen I suppose it was, flour bags. And people used to keep all them, collect them, and take the brand, they were brand in them, and they'd take the brand off of them, they'd boil them in washing soda and make sheets and pillow covers out of them. Every, everybody did it. Mm. So they, they were very economical in them times, I'm telling you. They didn't have to go waste. And they were lovely. They were lovely to wash. And that, all farmers done it. And everyone that was buying the big bags of flour or had the flour bags. That was one thing. They didn't even leave the, the, the bags go to waste. No, <laughs> they, they, no. they cut them up and no. used them. Yeah, yeah. And, and sure, the big, the big um, 
the big bags of meat to make a cheese. The wood. Have a sack bag. And, the four, and you get four of those to make a cheese. Four of the four stone bags. Then four of them. Yeah. Got stuff nice over them. The machine. Did yeah, you? It is. The Lenahans were hill farmers from Tournafalla in West Limerick. And Jackie Lenahan remembers plucking the geese to make a tick of feathers that he often slept on. And this was a common practice on the farm in those days. Every thing Langoa was minded. That was a thing Langoa, and I often think of it. Geese were kept on every farm because it was all feathered beds. There was no mattress with Langoa. Only the mattress would be under the ticky feathers, and the mattress would be made of oat and straw. And at that time, the Indian meal was coming in 20 stone bags after 200 and a half. And they were very strong, and they'd make masterses out of the out of out, out of the mailbags and put the straw into it, and the ticky feathers would be down on it. You see, so but the goose's feathers were very valuable. You see, in those days, and of course the feather men would be around after the first pluck of the geese. That would be about your life, and there'd be half the hour in every house, and he'd nail in across the half the hour, and he'd say, "Man, who walked there this year's pluck?" And give me a guinea a stone for them. You know how much a feather you would you, you, you have for a stone. <laughs> <laughs> and at that time, that plucked the geese and the flower was coming in tin stone bags. Yeah. You see, the, the flower was coming in tin stone bags of 140 pounds. And they put their feathers into flower bags. And you see, they'd have a couple of plucks of the geese and they'd a nice little bag of feathers, but uh, you wouldn't have a stone of feathers for ages. It'd take a long time to build up. It'd a long time to have a stone of feathers. Yeah. You see. Did you sleep in the tick of feathers? You well, I did for years, all, all my life. And what about the fleas? Huh? Fleas, well, that was a, 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 a cure for them. There was a wild sally growing in the bog, in the bogs. And there was a very strong smell from it, if you pull it, you see. And you would put the wild sally between the tick of feathers and the mattress. You wouldn't, they wouldn't leave a flea. And there was plenty of geese on two adjoining farms in Newport County Tipperary. And Nora Humphreys, as a young girl, recalls the plucking of the geese. Between the two houses now, the two flocks of geese were let off together. Jim's, Joe's geese and our geese were let off together. And how we distinguished them was, before the goslings were let go, they gave them a nick of a scissors here in a web. To mark them, yes. To mark, to mark them, the, the, so that yeah. we'd know them. Yeah, yeah. that would remain there. But there could be between 60 and 70 geese in it. And the men would be glad that they'd be get a pluck because they would lose their feathers in the early summer, you know, and the cattle would pick up the feathers in the field and that wasn't good for them. So Neddy would come and he'd pluck the geese in the barn. Mm. He'd get a lift out in the mail car in the morning. And he'd be standing at the gate and he'd be saying, Don't let out the geese, don't let out the geese. I remember the thoroughness accent. So the geese would be left in anyhow and we'd prepare a section of the barn for Neddy and we'd give him a milk and stool. And he had a big head of grey hair and a big grey moustache. And he'd sit down on the milk and stool then and we'd have to hand him a goose and he'd pluck, 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 you know, all the, the big feathers off of him. He'd only leave the down. And they'd be down on his face and he'd spitting his hand like that and he rubbed the head down the down oh to be going into his eyes and everything <laughs> <laughs> he'd pluck away all day and 
<laughs> we were doing divement, of course. There'd be a pile of feathers that height around him, you know. And we'd catch an old pushy in, as we called a kitten, or a chicken or something. And there was the front door of the barn was in two halves. You see, you could half door and remember the top one. And we'd fire in the bushian or the chicken into the middle of the feathers and drive them all over the place. He'd be raging. My mother go out. Well, the crass of Christ about me soul, Mrs. Costello, you've the boldest children were ever reared. The Cronins from Knocknagree in North Cork had a small farm, and Eileen Cronin remembers how self-sufficient they were. We cooked everything on the open fire. We had a black pot where we boiled the potatoes and we had an oven where we did our bacon and vegetables and we killed our own pigs, of course. We were self-sufficient almost. We had our own vegetables. We had uh, our own bacon. We had our own milk. Uh, Well, we bought our uh, flour usually from the creamery and our butter. But uh, at one time, I remember, we grew wheat and had it ground into flour. The Malones from Portrow, North Tipperary, farmed the land, and Bridget Malone recalls drawing the cocks of hay during the summer months that needed quite a lot of help because it was such a difficult task. And long ago you had to fork the hay. Uh, you made trams, you see, and then you had to fork the tram up onto the car and shape it and tie it with ropes to bring it home, to put it in for the winter, make ricks or cocks, or if I had a hay shade, they came in that time. <coughs> but in a later time, then you got a tram car, a big flat car that you could bring your tram together, you know. And pull the haycock onto it. Pull the haycock yeah, on, yeah, and yeah. let it down then, and somebody fork it up. Well, then it changed to silage, Yeah. more or less, you have that. Yeah. You... You made your bit of money out of the farm and you sold your for cattle at a fair in the street and you had your f- uh, maybe a few pigs and you had hens and you had all kinds of crops that you grew, uh, potatoes and vegetables and chickens and geese and ducks maybe and turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what? I said, at that time, that last war, we were able to feed ourselves. But if a war came again, there's no, no home producer. And from Kilmehill in West Clare, Kieran Lillis remembers the gathering of local people to come together to make a big wine of hay. Each farmer, there's say half a dozen farmers now, and their strong, young, active sons would gather. They'd fix a day for my uncle's farm, and they'd all come. And three, three of them say would bring horses and cars to bring in there, and the other three would be inside in the haggard, waiting to make a huge big wind of it. There'd be one man above making the wind, and there'd be a man above, because, you know, if I throw a big fork of hay up at this side of the wind, he might be working away over at the other side about 16 or 17 feet away, and that would turn all day long. So they took great pride in making that big, oh, that big was uh, an, an wine of Yes, it was an expert's job. Yeah. And you see, that wine, as it went up, it came to the point where the men in the ground were no longer able to reach it to the fellow above. Yeah. And you had to put up a ladder. And you were stuck in a big fork of hay and you handed it up to the fellow with his leg in his back in the ladder he was. 
and he caught it and shoved it up the rest of the way. <laughs> and if it was a very high cock, you would have fell above him again. Did you? Did <laughs> you? Him, yeah. Shoving it up. It was fierce work. It was all tillage farming in Fingal, North County, Dublin. And from Rush, Paud Flynn recalls a time when he had to go to the Dublin market to get a load of cow manure and recalls how expensive it was. Artificial manure didn't come in um, until the late 50s or into the 60s. Now, I threw the manure from Dublin, the cow manure from Dublin. And actually, it's the only thing I regret about doing because the work that was on it and the rewards it got for it was nil. Because you'd have to rent the cows. See, all the dairies were in Dublin. The reason why the dairies were in Dublin, there was no fridges or anything. And the cows, they, they put them out in the summer in a bit of grass. But all the yards in Dublin, and they could deliver around the house or deliver to Dublin dairies. They'd have the milk in this Dublin. You'd, you'd go in and you'd, you'd maybe a yard, you might have 40 cows. And you'd have to give the man dirty man, you give them four pound a cow and supply the straw, they get the manure. <laughs> so you'd have that much competition for it. Was there? Yeah, competition, oh yes, and it, it, sometimes we rows over it, you went in and said, take, took, took somebody else's load, and you had to go and load that with forks. Bring it home, actually right here, just throw a heap there, and you'd throw it there in the heap, and then when the frosty morning, when you do nothing else, you turned it. But a good hot job, the steam would be coming out of it, and you turn it down, to break it down. And when you come, then you'd load it on the horse and cart in March, and you'd have the drills open, the ridges all open, and you'd pull in your horse, you'd throw the rope on his back, and get the fork, and you'd throw a fork full every four or five feet. Pat Maloney from Portrow, North Tipperary, was the local travelling butcher for the local farmers. You'd go down to a farmer's house and you'd ask me to when I'd kill a pig for him. You'd kill a pig for him. He'd have the, he'd have the water boiling and to scald him and clean him. Yeah. And I'd kill the pig and next night then you'd cut him up. And that time we had no light, only a candle to cut him up in the night time. It no, be different now because you have electric light everywhere. Yeah. It was the candle you'd have to cut him up. You'd have a very edgy knife and you'd want to be very careful when you'd be when you'd be cutting with a candle. You'd want to know how the, the knife would be going so to, so to go across your finger or something. See? So I mean, just a lot of hard work. And it was one thing I just hated. Oftentimes, I'm here on my own and give an hour, maybe two hours, killing a pig for someone. You know, it was all right in the night time to cut him up. You were doing nothing. And you get a feed of pork steaks. The fry, the pan be put out and you get pork steaks. And you get a bit coming home. You see, for next day, like, that's that was your tanks. And uh, did people share? Th- I mean, they had too many Every, pork steaks, so they, did they go and share them with the neighbours? They neighbor? shared them with, they'd be 10 or 12 maybe looking out for the, when you'd kill the pig to get a bit. Come it's in, very tasty. Come in and show tis me that. It is the tastiest meat you can get is pork steaks. No, there's yeah. nothing to be at it. I'll show you where it is now, look. You see it hanging up there. And you have it salted now, yeah? That's salted. Yeah, yeah. There are no flies touch that now.
Plowing the fields with horses was usually a job given to the labouring hand who lived usually on the farm and sometimes travelled around the countryside looking for work. This was the case for a Cronin man who used to live in Mount Collins in West Limerick. Farrying horses that time. Mm. Tractors were scarce. They weren't they hadn't to try and make a noise around here, this side of the country that much. Mm. Few more years in after that you tractors everywhere. That was it. Mm. That made your life a bit easier, does it? Yeah, having a tractor and Well sure indeed at the time, but sure. Just handier than walking the tough sod, the hard sod, tilling and tearing. What time would you start in the morning? Uh, well, she reported here, and again, you'd have the horses yoked up then, sure, to be nearly nine again, you'd be in the field, I suppose. That way. Up and down then all day, once odd. But once you're started up, there's no bother keeping it right after that. The first side is that want to keep straight, you see. Hmm. The horse would pull it in, yeah, have her set right, she'd follow him. That'll be all of me in order, see. One of them walked the floor, another walked the bank. <laughs> well, there were small fees that in there, and later on in time, the, the bulldozer came along and shifted the reaches to be. Oh, there would be up to five acres, I suppose. Six in some of them. Maybe ten. But there were none of them there, or like, and that what was being tilled. Another practice carried out on the farm was separating the shaft from the grain. And that would happen on the kitchen floor in the farmhouse. And this is remembered here by Michael Slattery and his two uncles, Pat and Lawrence Slattery, from Kilfenora in West Clare. They'd have a certain amount of land set aside for tillage. We all had it like, but they'd, uh, when they'd be doing their acre or half acre of tillage, they'd dig it. Probably lay at it in the winter time and be mm. doing patches during the bad weather. You'd have a dug up high for the winter and it would have got nice and brittle with frost and all that then. Mm. So then they'd lay out a bit for potatoes, more for vegetables and more for cabbage. But then they'd lay out a plot and they saw what they call writer. It's the type like corn, like something like oats or barley. Oh, yes. Raya. And that raya then had a fairly high food value. So they'd take the, they'd cut that raya and they'd make little shaves of it, bundles. And they'd put all the bundles together then and they'd make what they call a stook. A stook, so oh, oh. they'd take that then and they'd make a stack of it. And when the winter time had come then, they'd get the women out of the house, maybe for a day or a night. And they'd come in and they'd have to switch it. And what they'd do is they'd, they'd sweep off the floor and take up the most of the furniture and pack any holes that'd be in it. Yeah. So they'd have chaff and they'd have straw then. Yeah. And um, they'd bring out the straw then manually good as they could and that had be for the touch of the house that have a section of the house that touch with that straw and that'd be a good few years life of oh, that. And when the tractor arrived on the farmyard, Tyke Pay made good use of it from his farmyard in Ballandown, County Offley. I love the tractor work. Most of my time from nineteen fifty onward was doing contract work with tractors with a tractor. 
with plowing and tilling, mowing, drawing manure, drawing turf, drawing briquettes from the factory. I was always busy. Yeah. In fact, I had a, a business as an agricultural contractor for about, for about 40 years. And did you have people working for you or with you? Or? Oh, no, I was on myself. Self-employed and only, only myself. Yeah. Mm. One tractor and I was kept going. And the cottage that you're living in here is stone-built, stone I built. would imagine, thatched one time. Well, it's attached. I mean, in fact, yeah. it's attached still. Attached the yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you wouldn't change a thing, like, you you, you just love living in it as, oh. as it was when your parents, I suppose, oh, lived in it, and your yes. grandfather lived oh, in oh, it. Oh, my grandfather and great-grandfather. Yeah. Yes. My great-grandfather got his... his um, took a lease of this farm in 1828 from the Ross estate. We've been here ever since. The Flanagan Farm is situated along the seafront between Liscanner and Doolan. And Michael Patsy Flanagan used to gather the seaweed to sell both at home and abroad. Up to the time that the manure started coming through was all that, blackweed and seaweed. And the blackweed was, we often put it up here, neighbours, the neighbours, the few neighbours, mostly the Flanagan crew here around, it was um, sent off to the hard ground, to, uh, what will I say, to Gort and to Boston for manure for potatoes, mm-hmm. the black and the red. And it was, we had to bring it, cut it, save it, bring it over, horse and cart down to the station house in La Hinch and let it off by trying to cut off it. My goodness. And, and, seven, pound, seven pounds for a wagon of weed. That's no, the wagon weed now was, was the half wagon and you piled it up. So many, so many ton went into it. It was hard work, but it, it wouldn't do anything to us anyway. I said, yeah. the, the most of the lads, there's a few of my neighbours still around that done it. But of course, the old crowd had passed on. That's it. The Sheehan farm was deep in the valley of Master Gihan near Carsevine in South Kerry. And Maura Sheehan recalls here a time when they used to pick the fedge up. It's a strong grass growing on the mountains, and they use that for sugoning the chairs. All the outhouses out there were patch. And, God, how the people worked hard in them days. They was have, there was some kind of stuff growing in the hill above, and many hills, I suppose. Fidget, they used to call it. And that they used to be cut and saved for touching. No, but for the sugans. They used thatch with straw, various uh, materials. But they used to put the bloomy fedric above there in the room. And my uncle was able to, to make the ropes, you see. And there would be someone, the boys of the village, used to be in, of course, making the sugans. They'd have what they used to call the crookan. It was a crook, and you twist it like that. And the fedric could be tied out it, and my uncle used to be working it away, and <laughs> the fella that would be making a wine in the sogan would go away. He was going down to the bottom of the house, mm-hmm. and then it would be rolled up in the ball, and they, I think they used to have to have seven or eight balls to of those sogans to touch them out houses there. Imagine that, as much as that. 
And with the hemp growing on the land, Maureen remembers a time when they used to make a tread to repair anything on the farm that was made with leather. And they used to have this white cotton thread, I think it was hemp or something. And then they'd make a string of it. They might put two or three uh, threads together. And there was just some kind of black wax. And they'd wax it and twist it. And if they wanted to patch the colour of the horse, they'd sort for that. Is that what they used again now? The, 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 can you describe that again now? It's the tread, isn't it? The tread, yeah. a fight, yeah. a fight. You couldn't break it. Yeah. And uh, if according to the thickness, they'd put two or three strings together and uh, roll it up and then wax it with this black, Wax, I don't know, for some kind of special wax, I suppose. And they used to have that um, thread for sewing harness or shoes. And we've come to the final clip from Ballinagrain, Burris and County Carlo, and that's where I met bachelor farmer Pat Murphy. And Pat compares farming today with the way it used to be done in his father's time. Uh, how many acres of land were was your father farming and you farming here now? There's only 35 acres in it. But yeah. Then I take out about 20. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're able to survive on that? Well, sure, yes. Yeah. Mm. Only by myself, of course. Yeah, yeah. Be gone uh, in a few years. What I say... <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. I, uh, what age are you? 75. 75. Uh, do you find that uh, farming over the years has... has um, You've been with it now for all your life, of course. All my life. It is tough going. Uh, well, we're, now we're being told, we're being changed now to, to what do you call it, joke. When I was going, it was produced as much as possible. Now it's produced as little as possible, if you like. They're paid now for sure, they're even set aside. They're paid now to, to try to get you to produce less. Yeah. It goes totally against the grain, doesn't totally it? Totally against the grain. Correct. Yeah, I mean, you you were brought up to think that that's right. every square inch of ground was, that's right. was, was important to that's grow. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, like Paddy Hogan said, the minister, the first minister, was this one more cow and one more stone, one more acre under the plough. That was his doctrine. And What's one more cow? One more cow and one more sow and one more acre under the plough. Close production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the best farmer is a man that can uh, grow two blades of grass where one grow before. That was other sayings. Yeah. Yeah. To keep to keep the, the production the, up. The production up. Production and, and up. Yes. And, and when the tractor came in, it just seemed to it, it things worked better. But then it, it kind of um, uh, you know the tractor now is sitting in the in in the shed and there's very little going on. That's it. <laughs> yeah. But before it was. <laughs> There was more work in the oh, field. Oh, there was bigger, there was bigger with horses and have to bring them in and feed them and at dinner time and let them out again or bring them out again and tackle them again and go on and plough again or harrow or whatever it might be. And then sure, if you were in the hay in the summer, the flies were the gibbles and the kicking up and you'd have to get up at all clocks of the morning to try to get out and do the bit of work with them or sure they'd go mad. <laughs> <laughs> there was no DDT or anything to kill these flies off. <laughs> Well, we've come to the end of this week's podcast, Memories of Farming Life in Rural Ireland. The selection of sound clips that you've been listening to can be found on our website. That's www.irishlifeandlore.com and there you can download the full recordings. 
and this will cost a minimal charge which goes back into the running of Irish Life and Lore Audio Archive. I'm Morris O'Keefe and I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.